0: Hello, and welcome to Unscripted, conversations about sexual and domestic violence, a podcast where employees and subject matter experts from domestic and sexual violence services and partner organizations discuss all aspects of interpersonal violence, plus solutions and resources for support for residents of Fairfax County. I'm your host, Kendra Lee. On this edition of Unscripted, I'm talking with Jennifer Perkins, Supervisor of Domestic and Sexual Violence Services' Anger and Domestic Abuse Prevention Treatment Program, also known as ADAPT, Jamie Malloy, Director of Programs at OAR Nova, Katrina Blazwich, Clinical Intern at Partner Shift in Arlington County Department of Human Services, and Liddell Miller, also from Partner Shift in Arlington County's Department of Human Services. And we're going to be talking about women who use violence. Jen, Jamie, Katrina, Liddell, welcome to Unscripted and thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. So it's a fact that when it comes to domestic violence, most of our language centers women as survivors, men as the ones who cause harm. But women can hurt intimate partners too, as evidenced by what I'm told is a spike in referrals for women who use violence, that Fairfax County's Domestic and Sexual Violence Services Division has seen recently. So we're going to break this down today. Is violence used by women different from violence used by men? And if so, how?
1: Um, I'll, I'll jump right in and I'll say I think it really depends. I have definitely seen situations where a woman has used violence, um, and more of a reactive abuse situation, a situation where maybe there has been time of her being the survivor of verbal or physical abuse, and at some point gets to where she's willing to engage in violence against the person who's been causing her harm. That's definitely a big category that we've seen, and it's part of treating women who are the victims and survivors of domestic violence some. Um, The fact that they may end up with charges of their own, even though they're not the primary aggressor or the person who's trying to gain power and control. But I don't want it to come across like every time that a woman uses physical violence against her male partner, that it is inherently because she's the victim or survivor of his abuse or prior abuse. There are women who do use violence with the intention of gaining power and control over a male partner as well. Uh, and it can be really hard sometimes to separate out which type of angle somebody's coming from, what type of trauma is leading them to commit what type of violence. And and all that's really important when it comes to helping people heal, grow and change.
2: Yeah, I would like to add to that. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that, um, to your point about women who are typically, in, I think in our society, looked at being the victim of domestic violence. I think there's a cultural piece that we need to take a look at, um, where we're seeing that for a lot of people they think violence is the norm within an intimate partner relationship where it's almost acceptable for a woman to maybe harm their partner because they are looked at as far as being the how can I say in best words, um the person who's like less likely to cause serious harm. Um so I think that's something we look I look at and also I look at you know, we gotta also acknowledge that there is intimate partner violence between uh uh women who are in relationships with other women. Mm-hmm. So, um that's something we gotta look at as well. We get a lot of clients who are referred to our program who are in um homosexual uh, homosexual relationships or bisexual relationships um with you know uh male and female partner and those are sort of dynamics that we're looking into more so than just traditional um Heterosexual relationships and monogamous relationships.
3: That's exactly what I was gonna say, Liddell. I'm so glad you brought that up because we have gotten some referrals too of women who are in same-sex relationships. But we also get referrals for women who um, have been abusive in other family relationships. So not just intimate partner. Um, some of our spike in referrals lately have been from child protective services and um, other social services agency where there's been abuse towards minors in the home. And oftentimes, when there is abuse towards minors, there is abuse going on between the adults in the home. And so we have gotten some female referrals from women who have been abusive towards um, other family members in the home. Sometimes those are minors. Um, and that is considered domestic violence as well. So I think what we're highlighting here, is it's not just heterosexual, intimate partner relationships, but there's domestic violence. There's a lot of different types of domestic violence and a lot of different types of relationships that fall under the umbrella
0: of domestic violence. You say types, and and that makes me think um, like types in terms of physical, emotional. Are women more likely to use emotional or some other form than physical, or are they just as likely to use physical?
3: So they certainly don't get arrested as much for physical violence as men do. I don't Mm -hmm. know that there's really good, accurate research that captures data for this. I mean, part of the issue is that violence against men, especially when the woman is, a female's causing harm is underreported. Um, Mm -hmm. and that kind of goes hand in hand with our toxic masculinity culture, right? Um, I hear a lot of men who I meet um, for our men's groups when they have been um, discussed how violence has been um, they inflicted on them, that they've hesitated to contact authorities because they wouldn't take them seriously. Maybe they have contacted them before and they're kind of like, come on, she hurt you. And they're kind of laughed at, not taken seriously. So a lot of it's underreported. Um, and it's hard because, um, emotional, verbal, psychological abuse, there's no legal consequences for that. That doesn't get reported. So I don't know that we have enough accurate data to speak to that. What we do know is that men far, uh, far more often get arrested for physical violence against women and that a lot of the violence we hear about in the news, um, take, for example, all these masks, uh, shootings we're having. It's all men. They're not women getting arrested for these crimes. So um, I think it's fair to say gender does play a role, but to what degree, it's hard to capture that. Yeah, I think you bring up such a great point, Jen. And I think kind of another piece of that is the fact that the way society views these crimes is so different to the point where you see it in movies and in shows and you know, in, in our Hollywood and, you know, in, these, in books and things, um, the way, for example, a woman, it's almost accepted that if their man strays or if their man looks at another woman, that they can hit them, right? That they can slap them. And then so that is physical abuse. And yet that's so accepted by society that it's almost not really viewed the same way. And I think we see that a lot in our groups and we see when, when women do get in trouble for that, kind of having to go through them, through that with them and kind of talk about where did that come from and what was the controlling behaviors and the ideas that happened
0: behind that. So are the motivations for women different? Do we think?
1: I think one thing I have seen is almost like, um, a mentality that the best defense is a good offense. So I have seen women that come from a, a abuse background being a victim or a survivor that will then go on to be abusive or controlling towards a new partner preemptively. Um, not that we don't see that with our other clients as well, but it, it does seem to be kind of an interesting thing that gets supported. And then because of the and then we're treating the male victim so differently, you know, we're saying, oh, well, you know. You're you're almost like saying this is a normal thing or this is something that you find very acceptable or some men will even say outright, I look for a crazy woman. I think it's attractive if a woman is willing to slap me in the face because she's possessive of me. And what we're not doing is saying, whoa, this is a serious issue because you are encouraging your own victimization, as Liddell pointed out, because she's probably not going to do that much real physical damage so we're justifying the harm that's caused because it's not as likely to land somebody in the hospital um and so it is the motivations can be all over the place but i think that each one warrants a really good deep search because the the solutions are going to be so different
0: well yeah let's talk about those solutions Will solutions that work for men work for women? And if not, what, what, what will work for, to help women who cause violence, who use violence?
2: Well, let me, I'll hop in real quick. Um, just to kind of carry what Jamie was saying. Um, it's kind of difficult to really sum everything up into one umbrella and say that, mm-hmm. you know, this is what works for addressing violence. I think motivation's always different. Um, mm-hmm. I think when we, first thing I think is important to do is recognize what type of abuse relationship this is, whether or not this is, you know, a controlling or coercive relationship, or whether or not this is uh, someone who's basically retaliating or resistive violence to what they call or whether or not this is, just you know, someone who's struggling with managing their mental health and substance use, or if there's things that's popping up that just, you know, maybe financially there's issues. So we look at a lot of different factors. And um, you'll see that, once you get the underlying issue uh, addressed or recognized, you can then start uh, addressing whether or not, if this is a coercive controlling a relationship, um, the dynamics and the, the strategies being used to try to uh, almost have to teach and relearn or have a person relearn new ways to be successful in having a healthier relationship as opposed to believing they have to control someone to get means met. Um so that's something that I, I recognize. And I have to say is a lot of um traditionally, I think a lot of programs that deal with domestic violence for women would have looked at it as a woman trying to protect herself. And um, I think we're being more, uh how can I say, mindful of that there are cultures or subcultures where they do see the benefit of controlling uh, in their partner, uh, whether that is. Using financial means to control their partner or using legal means to control their partner, whether it's like with with child support or anything else. Um, but there are so many victims out there that do need those services. So it's kind of hard to determine if this is a person who is a victim of domestic violence or if this is a person who is actually trying to control their partner and use these same strategies or tools that we will use to empower women who are victims. So it's, it's, you know, once you kind of get a uh, step back and really explore and look at some of the history of the violence within the relationship, You can get a better idea as far as what strategies or approaches you need to move forward with that individual.
1: I think digging deeper into and getting more information about more services for women that commit violence is really also going to help us with services for men who commit violence because it's going to continue to break down those barriers and silos of this group of people commits violence for this reason versus this reason versus this reason. And if we can flesh out a fuller spectrum, we could apply that fuller spectrum to everybody and not just in same sex, but also in, um, you know, opposite sex relationships as well. So doing this work and, and spreading out that information is going to be really key for everybody in the big picture.
0: So, Jen, I mentioned earlier that Fairfax County has seen a spike in women who use violence and referrals for them. Um, I got that directly from you in a conversation. Do we know why you're seeing a spike at this particular point? You know, we don't know why.
3: Um, As I mentioned a little bit ago, it seems to be a lot of them are coming from social services and not necessarily the court system. We do have some coming from the court system. But I know me personally in our program, we're seeing more from social services. And usually when social services is involved with suspected child abuse or neglect, They're also finding out that there's domestic violence going on in the home as well. And they're sending people our way. So Mm -hmm. it makes me wonder if they're seeing a spike in child abuse cases, which is why we're seeing a spike.
0: Um, And I don't have the answer to that. Are the rest of you guys seeing spikes, increases in women who use violence?
2: I am seeing uh increase in women who are Spanish-speaking. Uh, I noticed that in the area, there's lots of women who are being referred for services by the courts. Um, and we're trying to address the need for, uh, for those individuals because a lot of programs are really geared towards English-speaking um, clients. And I think to uh, Jen's point also, looking at domestic violence, you know, in Arlington, we have a program that mainly addresses intimate partner violence. But we do recognize and accept the fact that any type of child abuse or any type form of domestic violence is a form of child abuse. So we typically want to make sure that any awareness of child abuse or domestic violence, I'll say, um, that we are looking at the children, seeing that they're getting connected to services, and make sure that we're doing uh, safety checks and so forth on children, just to make sure that it's, they're not being impacted or their education or or development isn't uh, impacted because of the violence going on in their home. Um, but as far as I think there being a spike, one thing I recognize since I've been working with the program is that usually things happen around the holidays. So by the time you know, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas is over, we see a lot of people going to the courts, and then we get the referrals shortly afterwards. So we see that happens a lot. Um, also, summertime is also a, a time where we get a lot of people being referred to services by court-mandated, uh, You know whether it's probation or parole. Um, but... I think also I think we're being more mindful of the fact that domestic violence can happen by women. And before that wasn't the case. So I think the more we have our law enforcement officers going out and inspecting homes and and are also uh being more um non biased, I think it's a little easier for uh people who are actually in need of help, such as men who are being abused, can get the assistance they need and the person who is in need of help as far as uh Reducing their violent behavior can get referred to appropriate programs.
0: So I am I know this is not a new phenomenon, but we don't talk about it. Why? Why are we just starting to talk about it? We need to talk about it more. And what should those conversations look like?
1: It's tough. You know, we don't want to go back to to excluding any populations. But I'll say from my personal experience, when it comes to relationship between a man and a woman, historically, men have expressed to me so consistently that they are too embarrassed to describe what they're going through as abuse, to admit that it hurts them physically or emotionally, to say anything other than, she can't hurt me, what's she going to do, right? It's, it's a joke between the two of us, because look at her, I'm so much bigger and stronger than her. And so I think that the greater society's work in understanding toxic masculinity over the last decade has had a hugely profound impact on the way that my clients and people in my personal life have been able to look at themselves differently and accept and acknowledge that they deserve safety, that they deserve emotional safety too, and not just physical
3: safety. Yeah. And I think in addition to really working at trying to fix the society norms and, and understanding of what's going on and make it more normalized so that people can seek help. We need to kind of change the idea of overall both men and women and we we need to kind of change the idea of what a healthy relationship is. And looking at this isn't just help for people who are in trouble with the courts. This is help for anyone that recognizes that they're using abusive and controlling tactics who want Help and who want to have a healthier relationship, right? I think there's also this piece of getting more data and actually getting some of the research together because there's a lack of research in domestic violence in general, especially in kind of the genderization of it and in how we deal with it as far as interventions are concerned, things like that.
1: Well, and then if we want to tie it back into just how data and how things have changed over the years, then we can look again at same-sex relationships. And we all know of the, and they were roommates phenomenon. Um, up until how recently, how many DV cases, intimate partner cases between two women have been booked into the system as a friend-on-friend assault because of the fact that they did not feel safe to disclose the nature of their relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, so that is also a big data point shift over the last decade.
3: Yeah, that's such a great point. And I would just expand on to that. I think that goes as far as kind of where we're headed and, you know, where the research needs to be headed, is also making it so that it's not as dichotomized between men and women. Right. There's a whole spectrum of gender and how people identify and really recognizing that in our interventions, in our groups that we run, because a lot of groups tend to be genderedized as men versus women, right? And so really kind of looking at that as we're kind of coming up with the new solutions and, and our new understandings of how this all works as far as data.
2: And one thing I want to add to that is we got to also recognize the fact that domestic violence um, is a new study. You know, this is a new field altogether. Um, it wasn't until what, the 90s where people start really putting a lot more research and emphasis into um, domestic violence beforehand, you know, there was nothing out there to be sought. You know, they had programs that were providing, you know, women's shelters to get them to escape the, the domestic violence, but that was even very few where people started taking accountability and recognizing how they want to improve their relationships. So with this being such a new field of study, I think there's uh, a great opportunity for a lot more uh, work and a lot more conversations to be had about this. Um, but the problem is a lot of people, such as, especially men who are being abused. Are very uncomfortable talking about it. Um, even clients I work with who are identified as being the, uh, abuser. I, I see men, grown men crying session about how they've been abused for so long. And, you know, and the courts haven't recognized that for them. So this is really difficult, uh, for us to have an honest conversation without having a space for those individuals to participate in.
0: I'm a woman who uses violence. How do I reach out? Where do I go? How do I know? that what I'm doing is wrong and that I need to seek help. It's
1: going to be different for everybody. Some people are going to maybe lose a partner they care for, and that's the wake-up call. And they say, you know what, I've got to change. Maybe they're looking at a, a history, a pattern, and saying, oh, most of my relationships end um, and my partners are telling me it's because of how I'm treating them, not necessarily that we grew apart or that we're too different or, you know, it's the way that you're treating me. So if you end up losing a relationship that you really care about, it can be a powerful motivator to look internally if you're ready, if you have the support. Obviously, sometimes the court can jumpstart that process, even for people who might not feel ready at the time. Mm-hmm. But we don't we want people to feel more comfortable reaching out and saying, I don't know whether I'm the abuser or the victim. Maybe we're both the abuser and we're both the victim in this relationship. All I know is that what's happening is unpleasant for one or both of us and that we want to have a more pleasant experience. We need a place to ask more questions about what we're doing, why we're doing it and how we can heal. Um, and so that's, that's the tricky part is getting that information out there. So that a person who's in that small moment where they're starting to question their own actions, they can they can go ahead and they can move on that feeling and and get some answers that are soon enough to capture that motivation.
0: Liddell, I see you're nodding your head.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I would say. um, It's great for individuals to recognize that for themselves, but I think the biggest (laughs) problem is uh, the norm or what's publicly out there is uh, not. Our programs. If um, you recognize uh, people who work in the field of counseling, a lot of people don't even acknowledge or recognize if someone's going through domestic violence. Um, where they, and again, they're looking for the worst case scenario for someone to get referred for, uh, you know, battered insufficient program or uh, intimate partner violence program. And to like Jen said earlier, maybe child family services is like the only means that someone will get connected. But I think what needs to happen is. Um, we need to, one, I think to Katrina's point, broadcast that we're really looking for people to have healthy relationships. And I think if people were to see those things out there where, you know, are you looking to improve your relationship, they'd be more interested in seeking that type of help. But uh, sadly, you know, a lot of programs that deal with uh, intimate partner violence, domestic violence aren't advertised in that in that way. Um, so sadly, I think a lot of people end up having to be referred by the courts because, you know, they didn't know where to look for help. So I think uh, we just need to change our culture and be able to make this service available to a lot more people or at least let let people be more aware of services like ours.
0: So I know ADAPT, you can self-refer, but is that the same for OAR and PartnersHift?
2: Yes, at least with um, PartnersHift, anyone who wants services can get services. Um, In fact, I've had people who have called me um, but again, with most things, it's hard to change. It's hard to get help. So, uh, as people are trying to, uh, recognize how much help they need, you see typically people with any disorder would backpedal a little bit and think a little longer before they make that decision. And sadly, I think to Jamie's point, sometimes people wait till the last minute or, or mandated to get help uh, at that point.
0: And if you don't know that the help is out there, like you were just saying, That's also an issue.
1: Now, unfortunately, at OAR, we don't have a women's group for domestic violence that's available right now. You know, So it's really important for us and for my staff to know which partner agencies in the area are currently offering um, or like LaBelle sent out an email about the fact that they have a group for women that speak Spanish. So that's where us as an internal community have to do a really good job of sharing what populations we can currently accommodate. So that when somebody calls OAR, then I can say, yes, we can offer you one-on-one support. And also you should contact this agency if you wanted to get group support because that environment is so different and so powerful.
0: You said right now, have you ever had at OAR? We have,
1: yeah. And it's actually on our, our next thing on our to-do list. We expanded from doing men's programs to doing men's programs in Spanish. And then to do a women's program is the next thing on the list.
0: And ADAPT, Jen? When I started with the county umpty ump years ago, you guys did group together men and women. Why did you go to this this new model of separating the genders?
3: Yes, we did for a very, very long time um and so we ended up um going to this new model just for emotional safety in the group um and that um some people weren't feeling safe being in co-ed groups. And we were, we practice evidence-based practice and we were going by the research that we have uh, available to us in terms of best practice for having um, mixed genders in domestic violence groups. So that led to the change. And Jamie shared her her uh, list of working on a women's group and curriculum, I imagine, in the future. For us, it's LGBTQIA+, because um, as we discussed, that um, it impacts all genders and all sexual identities and all types of relationships. And right now, it's very much male versus female. Um, and we know that that doesn't feel safe and work for everybody and meet everybody's needs. But Right now in this moment, that's what we have, but that is something that we're looking towards building and creating in the future. Um, and I just want to add that, um, in terms of women who are experiencing these things, and if you're supporting a woman who's experiencing some of these issues, that it's very important that we stop the shaming and the stigma around services. It's like, feels like a punishment. And a lot of people still use the term batter, fender, abuser, and there's a lot of shame attached to those labels, and that creates a barrier for people getting help. Um, and we want people to get help. We know that a lot of people stay in their relationships, even when they're, you know, not the healthiest relationships, not the safest relationships, and maybe they're no longer together, but they are co-parenting. Um, they they have children. Um, they have other family members. This impacts the larger community. So I think one thing that we all could do is um, be more mindful about how we talk about these things in a way that is not super shame-inducing. Because maybe people will be more open to getting the help they need if they don't feel like they're being punished or sh- feeling shameful about acknowledging they need this sort
0: of support. Okay. You guys have given us lots to think about. That'll do it for this episode of Unscripted, Conversations About Sexual and Domestic Violence. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Jen, Jamie, Liddell, and Katrina for joining us. If you or someone you know has experienced interpersonal violence, call the Domestic and Sexual Violence 24-Hour Hotline at 703- 360-7273. That's 703-360-7273 703-360-7273 or visit fairfaxcounty.gov and search for domestic and sexual violence. To listen to other county podcasts, visit www.fairfaxcounty.gov podcasts. Unscripted, Conversations About Sexual and Domestic Violence is produced by the Fairfax County Virginia Government.